Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, January 19th, 2018. No theme today. Yeah, we're kind of back on our regular Friday schedule, which means, yeah, oftentimes Fridays are not themed. It's kind of like these hot dog episodes, you know, you get all the the extra cuttings put together. Thank you for listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we should be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the uh, Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of um, doctrine... Mm -hmm. The doctrine is teaching that is being put out there for consumption by evangelicals. It's not biblical. It's like far from it. Uh, it doesn't make a lick of sense. And uh, you know, the people are, who are putting this stuff out, they make very little attempt, uh, very little effort nowadays for the most part to, to even make it look like it's even biblical in the first place. They just pontificate and spew what's in their heart or mind or whatever, and and people just fawn over the vision casting leaders and megachurch guys who are saying these things and oh it's the best thing ever and never seem to crack open a bible so by cracking up open the bible and having you walk along with me as we compare what they're saying yeah you, you end up finding out it's like whoa 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 that ain't biblical that's the point so we're trying to uh, save you from the wolves if you would so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, yeah, to, uh, Friday episode, normal Friday episode, and uh, which means no theme. You know, we're, it's kind of uh, the cutting room floor edition of Fighting for the Faith, where we uh, pick up on uh, on stuff that didn't make the cut as we you know in the themed programs, but uh, we kind of throw them into one big goulash here at the end, and then we'll end off the week with a good sermon. So. Um, did you know that um, John Pil Kilpatrick, John Kilpatrick of the Brownsville or Pensacola revival, um, last year in the summer, he literally bought into the whole September twenty third being 
the sign of <laughs> with Jupiter popping out of the birth canal of Virgo in the constellations. He totally taught on that, totally bought into it and, and preached on it. <laughs> We're going to note that uh, Scotty Clark um, has not updated his YouTube channel still to this day since the whole September 23rd, the, you know, the, the sign of revelation debacle with, um, with Jupiter and Virgo and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's seems to have disappeared. He's no longer a, um, a current up and running YouTube prophecy expert, which he was never a prophecy expert in the first place. And the, the expectation that he created regarding you know, September 23rd seems to have undone him a bit. And uh, so we're pointing this out regarding John Kilpatrick just because, you know, it's like this shows you uh, the caliber of uh, theologian uh, that was at the helm of the uh, Brownsville revival, Brownsville, Pensacola revival. Then uh, we're going to go back in time a little bit. I don't even know the year for this, but did you know, and I've known this for a while, uh, did you know that Benny Hinn in the past has taught there are nine members in the Godhead. Nine, not three. You see, you know, we we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, uh, Benny Hinn has taught in the past, and we've now dug this up. He has taught that there are nine in the Godhead, so we'll do a money-grubbing televangelist, go back in time a little bit, to remind you that uh, Benny Hinn... Uh, has a strange and awkward and biblically indefensible view when it comes to um, <clears throat> the Godhead. Uh, then somewhere in there, I don't know where we'll take a break, but uh, we're, we're, we're going to do a Ben Fitzgerald update. Ben Fitzgerald is the son of the Hodges who of Christ Alignment, the Destiny card people. And uh, we're going to listen to Ben Fitzgerald and his Christmas message uh, delivered down at Fire Church on the 17th of December. And uh, and boy, is this a total bizarre twisting of the uh, nativity narratives uh, as, as it relates to Christ. So we'll listen to a portion of that, and then we'll end up our number one by checking in with Joel Osteen down there at Lakewood, and uh, and listen to a portion of his message titled, The God Who Crosses His Arms. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that'll be hour number one. And if your head hasn't exploded um, <laughs> during hour number one, and you want to end off the week with a good sermon, uh, uh, I we're going to preview uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley's current Wednesday night sermon series, as he's uh, working through Martin Luther's theses uh, from the Heidelberg uh, Disputation, um, which is really fascinating because uh, you know he's not a Lutheran; he's a uh, uh, you know he's a Reformed Baptist type out, out there in um, Hanley Stoke on Trent. And but uh, it's really interesting. I think he's doing a fine job uh, working his way through uh, Luther's Heidelberg theses. And uh, and so we'll listen to uh, the sermon titled "No Salvation by Law." No salvation by law. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We do really, truly do have a lot of ground that we need to cover. And uh, since we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update, let's go ahead and start this way. Hallelujah. 
Robert Tilton, Hubabaconda. So we're heading over to the All Nations Church of God to a message that was delivered on June 18th of 2017. And uh, this is delivered by John Kilpatrick, the uh, the guy who was at the helm of the Pensacola-Brownsville revival. Mm-hmm. And we're going to listen as, no joke, back in June, this fellow totally was buying in to the whole September 23rd sign thingy. He's even going to go so far as to say he's not setting a date, but he's actually named the actual date. Talking out of both sides of his mouth is what he's doing here. And again, this is to kind of show you the theological astuteness and acumen of the fellow who was at the helm of the Pensacola-Brownsville revival. Here's John Kilpatrick. I've got a message tonight I want to bring. Um, it's, I think it's going to be something that will really help you and really encourage you. Tomorrow night, I want you to um, make plans to be here, and I want you to bring somebody with you. Let me tell you why. Uh, yeah, I want you to make plans to be here and bring somebody with you. Let me let me tell you why he's saying that, because uh, he wants to grow a megachurch. Yeah. And uh, he wants to make sure that the uh, the offerings are huge and ginormous so that he can have a big fat paycheck that's the reason why i'll tell you the reason why that's the reason <clears throat> i'm not a sensational preacher at all uh y- um can i challenge that I, we need a flag on the play here but i was i was raised by a bible prophecy preacher uh-huh and um he was very very brilliant man he was a godly man most humble man i've ever met he was a he was a scholar. He was good friends with Finest Jennings Dake. You ever heard of Finest Jennings Dake? He was good friends with him, and he um, he taught me Bible prophecy, and I preached it through the years. I still love it, and I still preach it. But um, I've never been a sensational type preacher, that type that type thing. But something is going to happen this year in in uh, September. Something's going to happen. This year in September. Now, I'm going to point this out. Here it is, January 2018. Yeah. Um, nothing happened in September. Literally nothing. Zip. Nothing. Yeah, it was, there was no, nothing that happened. And the whole, you know, sign of revelation, was it 11 or 12, something like that? That, that just totally f- fell on its face. And I don't know anybody right now who's, Sitting there going, do you remember that whole September 23rd? How the whole world changed. I mean, they those guys on YouTube, they were saying that something was going to happen. And that, that was the great sign. Nobody could see it, by the way. 
Uh, the reason why nobody could see it is because the sign occurred in the middle of the day. <laughs> we pointed this out kind of ad nauseum. And uh, so it's it just fascinating to me that uh, John Kilpatrick back in June was already creating expectation and literally encouraging people to bring people to church. And this was the hook. You know, this was actually, I think this would be the bait. This would be the bait on the hook to get. It's like, I I want you to bring your friends. I'm going to tell them a scary old story, man. September 23rd. Not that I'm setting dates or anything like that, but uh, my papa was a prophecy dude. And I totally, you know, totally respected him. And he knew what he was talking about. And uh, I'm not saying that that, uh, that there's a date coming up, but I'm just saying something, something is going to happen on September 23rd. And uh, I'm here to tell you nothing, absolutely nothing happened on September 23rd. That I want you to know about. Okay. I'm not going to set any dates. Don't do that. Never. Yeah, but you just named the date. Done it. Something interesting is coming up. Something interesting. We don't know what it is. It's going to be interesting, though. Some, it's coming up. I'm going to preach tomorrow night on Revelation chapter 12, The Radiant Woman. The Radiant Woman, yeah. Now, the Bible said that she had 12 stars at her head. Yeah. She was clothed with the sun and the moon was at her feet. Yeah. That is going to happen for the first time September the 23rd this year in history. Uh, no, actually, that's totally false, and we pointed out that when you read the rest of the passage, it also talks about the dragon being there. Dragon, no, nowhere present there in any of those constellations at the time, September 23rd. And uh, all the folks who seem to uh, make a lot of hay leading up to it have gone uh, interestingly quiet after it. What the Bible says will happen... Wait, I know what it means. The big sign of September 23rd. That was the sign that God gave that a bunch of YouTube prophecy guys would be shown to be false. How could I miss that? I just, I'm just not spiritual enough. Revelation 12 will happen for the very first time on September the 23rd, right after the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets is over. I'm going to deal with that tomorrow night. I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's not a sensational thing to get you... Sure, it is totally a sensational thing because you're basically creating anxiety and expectation. You don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, something. So- something's going to happen, yeah. Yeah, it's in Revelation, and everybody knows Revelation. Well, that's about the end, you know? And so... <laughs> worked up about a certain day or anything like that? It, yeah, don't get worked up about a certain day, but I already dropped the September 23rd, 2017. Weird. But I think once you hear it, and once you hear me out, it's going to take me about an hour and 15 minutes to deliver it. An hour and 15 minutes to basically tell you, I'm not setting a date, but to tell you that something's happening on September 23rd. And I'm going to cover three different segments of material. So September 23rd, apparently that was like the four blood moons of 2017, and it just totally flopped. Uh, How many people are talking about them four blood moons nowadays? And I think after I get through covering it, I've already covered it in my church. We had about 1,200 people there that night. Last week, I preached to the Meridian, Mississippi. We had about 1,200 people there. And I'm going to preach it here tomorrow night. And I think this may be the only three places that I'll preach it. I may preach it more places. I'm not sure. He's not sure. But, I mean, yeah. So you definitely want to get your friends to come there because, you know, he's going to be preaching. And he's got to get those offerings up. 
But I, I at least want you to hear it. I want you to make up your own mind. And I think after you hear it, I think it will really excite you. Not only that, but the other things I'm going to mix in there with it. Right, yeah. And this happens in the constellation of Virgo. Now, I'm not talking about astrology. I don't believe in astrology. Yeah, actually you are. I'm talking about astronomy. No, really you're not. And there's, there's different constellations, and every constellation tells the story of Jesus Christ. From his birth to his death and his resurrection. That's astronomy. So I'm going to be dealing with that, That's astronomy. Okay. I don't know any astronomers who look to the sky and sit there and say, oh, yeah, that's just all about Jesus. Tomorrow night on the Radiant Woman, first time in history it's ever happened. It's happened three times before, close. In the days of Adam and Eve, she was clothed with the sun. She had nine planets above her head in her crown, and the moon was at her thigh. Yeah, right, because we, we can date with pinpoint accuracy <laughs> the time of Adam and Eve. <sighs> this is just bad. Twice since then, she's had nine other planets in her crown. Yeah, by the way, planets are not stars. But the moon has not been at her feet. It's only happened three times. This time when it happens, for the first time in ever history, mm. as the Bible said in Revelation chapter 12, she's clothed the sun, the moon is at her feet, and she has these 12 stars. You have nine of them. Yeah, where's the dragon? Read the rest of the text. There's a dragon right there getting ready to kill the kid when it's born. Which constellation is that? From the constellation of Leo... But the other three are Venus, Mercury, and Mars. And they are in alignment with the other nine planets from Leo, and they form the 12 stars of the radiant woman. And nobody will see it, and nobody did see it, by the way, because it happened in the middle of the day, you know. For the very first time, September the 23rd this year. Mm -hmm. I just want you to hear the information, let you make up your own mind, not saying that the Lord's going to come back on that day. No, I'm not saying he's coming back on that day, yeah, because clearly that didn't happen. It's January 2018, you know. Because that sign is not a sign of his coming. That is a sign of the tribulation period. Ah, yeah. See, that's the sign of the beginning of the tribulation period. Yeah. So I want you to at least hear it. I think you'll be excited to hear it. Bring somebody with you. Yeah, so we can scare them. To stick around and make it look like we can predict the future. And they didn't. They totally blew it. I mean, <laughs> that just didn't pan out. So, you know, just saying. All right, moving along. I We're going to go back in time. We're not going to use our DeLorean for this trip. But uh, let's play our money-grubbing televangelist update music so that we can kind of set this up properly. Here we go. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma, El Dinero. Wanna be a millionaire? Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shackles, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of loot and whistle for wearing it green. 
I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. And there's some I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. All right. So uh, I don't even know the year this took place, but uh, you know, as I was doing my program prep and researching on the internet, uh, I found actual video of a doc- doctrine that I knew, man, back in the '90s that uh, Benny Hinn had taught, and the t- the doctrine is that there are nine, not 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 merely three, but nine in the Godhead. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I guess this is his uh, Benny Hinn's doctrine of the ninety rather than the Trinity. I, I don't know if that's the way you would say it. Probably not, but I think you get the point. But he, he claims literally there are nine in the Godhead. Listen in to uh, Benny Hinn. Here we go. God the Father, ladies and gentlemen, is a person, and he is a triune being by himself separate from the Son and the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. So the Father all by himself is a triune being. Do you know any biblical texts that say that? I don't know any biblical texts that say that, but Benny Hinn, he seems to think that that's the truth. So what did you say? Hear it, hear it, hear it. Oh, yeah, I'm hearing it, okay. See, God the Father yeah. is a person. God the Son is a person. Yes. God the Holy Ghost is a person. This is true. But each one of them is a triune being by himself. Mm-hmm. So each of the members of the Trinity are actually triune in and of themselves. So this isn't the Trinity that Benny Hinn was teaching. It's the ninety. I think that's the right way. It may not be, but you, you get the idea. It's like... This is straight-up blasphemous heresy. Um, and note this. Uh, in uh, Christian history, um, when somebody messed up regarding the nature of God, um, they were not considered Christian brothers or sisters. You know, for instance, you, know, you think about back in time. You know, there were all kinds of Christological heresies that popped up. One of the more famous ones that many of you may have heard about is the Arian heresy. And the Arian heresy denied that the Son of God was eternal. They, you know, yeah, the Arian heresy believed that there was a time when the Son of God was not, and there's a time after which he was. And so the Son of God is not eternal. He's kind of like the foremost and greatest of the creations of God the Father. Um, yeah, but uh, that's not what Scripture teaches. So uh, the Arian heresy was considered a heresy, and those who held to it were considered to be heretics and not Christians. You think of another uh, Christological heresy, the heresy known as modalism. Modalism. It denied the doctrine of the Trinity. Modalism taught instead that um, God manifested himself in different modes. Um, For instance, so there's one God, one person in the Godhead, 
it, this is the way modalists believe, and that God at some point manifested himself as the Father, and in another point manifested himself as the Son, and another point manifested himself as the Spirit. But there's only one God, one person in the Godhead. And by the way, this is the heresy of the oneness Pentecostals, and important note, T.D. Jakes is one of these. Mm -hmm. He's a modalist. And the modalists were condemned as heretics, and rightly so. The God they were believing in was a God of their own devising, you know, and not the God of Scripture. Modalism is easily debunked, by the way. You just sit there and go, all right, so there's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, praying to the Father on the night that he's going to be betrayed. Mm -hmm. Who was he praying to? Yeah, you sit there, well, um, um, he had to be praying to himself. So he was deceiving his disciples in saying that he was praying to the Father because the Father really doesn't exist. There was G there was the one true God, the one person of the one true God, um, basically manifesting as the Son while claiming to be praying to the Father. It was all a farce. Yeah, so you, you kind of get the idea. But here we have Benny Hinn literally teaching the Ninety, not the Trinity, the Ninety. And I'm I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and say that the ninety is a is a heresy of the type that puts somebody outside of the Christian faith. If you believe in the ninety rather than the Trinity, uh, you ain't a Christian. So let's keep listening. If I can shock you, and maybe I should, there's nine of them. Nine of them. Let me back this up so you can kind of get the idea in context what he's doing. Here. Not the Holy Ghost is yeah. a person. Yeah, but. Each one of them is a triune being by himself. If I can shock you, and maybe I should, there's nine of them. Nine in the Godhead. Mm -hmm. What did you say? Yeah, that's heresy, dude. That's straight up heresy. Why aren't these people standing up and walking out? Let me explain. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. God the Father, ladies and gentlemen is a person with his own personal spirit, with his own personal soul, and his own personal spirit body. Yeah, do you have text for that? Because it sounds like you're just making stuff up here. Say, oh, I never heard that. That's right, because it's not taught in Scripture. That's why nobody ever heard that. Well, you think you're in this church to hear things you heard for the last 50 years? <laughs> That's quite the uh, telling comment. Do you think you're in this church to hear things that you've heard for the last 50 years? Well, the last time I checked the Bible, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And you know it's the faith once delivered to the saints. In fact, what you should be hearing in your church is the same thing that was taught 50 years ago, that was taught 100 years ago, that was taught 500 years ago, that was taught 1,000 years ago, that was taught 2,000 years ago. Yeah, if it's new, it's untrue. It's heresy. Do you know that the Holy Spirit has a soul and a body? The Holy Spirit has a soul and a body. Do you have a text that says that? Separate from that of Jesus and the Father? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you get the idea. Um, so there's uh, Benny Hinn teaching not the Trinity, but the Ninety. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something I was fully aware of. In fact, I do believe in one of Benny Hinn's earlier books, he... he, he he definitely laid out this doctrine and received quite a bit of flack and uh, hasn't really seemed to push on that too much since. 
Yeah, I wonder why, but I think you get the idea. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Ben Fitzgerald of Bethel Church. Uh-huh. And uh, also Joe Lowstein. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, my name is Joe Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book, Every Day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you can be casual at work. And they's always having that 25 cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole every day is Friday thing and have made some not so nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, but Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy! This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, 
I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith uh, could cause you to think that uh, Benny Hinn's a heretic for teaching that there are nine in the Trinity. Because <laughs> he is. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly, actually three friendly buttons, yellow buttons. Uh, One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other one says become a patron. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. And uh, rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. It really helps, you know, make it so we can count on, uh, you know, monthly amount of money every month so that we can budget properly and things like that. And of course, uh, you know, now more than ever, we truly need you to uh, join our crew uh, if you haven't already done so, especially if you're benefiting from the materials that we're putting out, uh, considering the fact that we've launched Pirate Productions and are now fully out there, you know, putting, you know, putting video together and uh, you know, curating our archives, putting new dumpster fire episodes and things like that out there. Uh, in order to warn people across the Internet of the false teachers that are out there. Now, if you uh, want to become a patron and and you want to support us via Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And if you would like to make a one-time contribution, the way you do that is by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then sending it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support because truly, honestly, we cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we have a Bethel update. Let's do this. 
The truth is out there somewhere. It's just not at Bethel. <laughs> if, if you follow the Bethel crowd, you know, like Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, Ben Fitzgerald, and folks like that, uh, or the Hodges who are associated with Ben Fitzgerald, or the Deadmans and things like that, you are not finding the truth. You need to keep looking because the truth is out there somewhere. It's just not at the churches that you're attending. So let me back off on the music. We're heading over, by the way, to uh, Fire Church in uh, in Australia. And uh, we've already reviewed one sermon from this outfit. But uh, Ben Fitzgerald, the uh, you know, he's... Uh, Jen Hodge's son and uh, related to the Hodges of Christ Alignment Destiny card fame, which, by the way, it's Christian fortune telling that they're engaging in. He recently delivered a Christmas message, and we're going to listen to this because <laughs> the, the Bible twisting on this one, the best way I could put it, it is how, do, how does uh, how do they say it on, you know, on America's Got Talent? It's off the chain. Yeah, just. Just saying. So this is this is off the chain Bible twisting by Ben Fitzgerald. But uh, let's get into the message. Uh, it's called a Christmas message. Here we go. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of Christmas. You are the Christ Mass. You are the one that we celebrate at this time of year. We thank you that Christmas has such a family feel. It has such a feeling of excitement and warmth that carries that all across the world. People say, oh, Christmas came from a pagan holiday. I don't care, God, what they say, because that candy cane represents the white, uh, the, the whitewashed robes through the blood of Jesus. And, and the tree represents the tree of life, the new life. And we pray, Father, that you would grant us in this Christmas to experience your new life. And God, I ask you that Jesus would be magnified in this message this morning because this is a message of hope. Christmas is a message of hope. It's not a message of gifts. It's a message of the greatest gift called Jesus Christ. So we pray, Father, that you'd illuminate your word and just let us be astonished by how good God is. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've got to be quick because um, we had a lot of announcements and prayed for the sick and all that stuff, which is the best thing to do. Uh, Let's go to the book of Luke. I told you that already. Chapter one, excuse me, not chapter two. Okay, we'll go down to to verse 35. Now the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, he also appeared to Elizabeth. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth was a relative and she also has conceived in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her also, she was, uh, angels talking to Mary, who was mm-hmm. called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. She's talking about herself. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country and made haste. Now, before I, I get into this, you have to remember something. Mary did not have Facebook. Mary didn't have a cell phone and mobile phone. She had no way of contacting the hill country of Judah, except by people's spoken word. Like someone on a donkey's going there, takes them five days. Can you please tell Elizabeth I'm pregnant? She didn't know this. I'm pretty sure that Elizabeth had no clue. But Mary arose, verse 39, and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. She entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now it happened that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, so, hey, Elizabeth, when she heard that, that the baby, and you know who she was pregnant with. Now, so far, no problems, because, you know, what's Ben doing? 
he's reading out with a little asides, a few asides, he's basically reading out the biblical text, you know, from Luke chapter 2. I mean, I'm not going to quibble with his asides at this point, but watch what he ends up doing. It's rather fascinating. He is kind of like into Holy Spirit uh, <laughs> uh, narcissism. It's a fascinating technique, but, uh, you know, just so you know, watch what he's done so far. He's actually attempted to, you know, work through a text. Baptist. It says the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. You know why? Because she had John in her baby womb and in the other womb, she had the Messiah. Now, she'd only just been told by the angel that you're going to give birth to the very hope of the entire world. A couple of days later, she decides, okay, if that's the case, I'm going to go visit. I don't know why she felt compelled to, but I'm going to go visit Elizabeth because the angel said she's also having a baby. So I'm going to go find out if it's true, if Elizabeth is pregnant. She goes to Elizabeth and she finds, as soon as she says, Elizabeth, that Elizabeth fill, is filled with the Holy Spirit instantly and feels this baby jump inside her womb. Which to me, it's honestly phenomenal that as soon as a baby who's not even born, this proves to you that abortion's completely wrong. Because Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a valid point. Yeah, I would go with you on that one. The child was unborn and it heard the voice of another woman outside of it itself, outside of the, the shell, and it leapt in the womb. It did a dance. And when it did a dance, it somehow did something that blessed the Holy Spirit. When it blessed the Holy Spirit. What? So John the Baptist in utero, because he did a Holy Spirit dance, blessed the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Okay, we are now off the rails. Elizabeth got filled with God. Okay. Every time you rejoice because the Messiah is coming to your house, every time you rejoice because something bad in your life is happening, but you choose, I'm going to praise God, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every No, 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 no. No text says that, and you just utterly mangled this text time something now let me tell you i gotta tell you more about this let me tell you every time that you are going through something or you're up there in the hill country of judah no one knows who you are your husband can't speak because i've never been to the hill country of judah and i don't i i don't have a husband i have a wife i so what on earth is this fellow doing to this text so when you find yourself in the hill country of judah and your husband can't speak it's what so so clearly now he's allegorizing the hill country of Judah and he'll and allegorizing poor Zechariah who can't speak at this point in the story. So who's your non-speaking Zechariah and what's your hill country of Judah? Made God, whatever's going on in your life, uh -huh. the second you rejoice at the Messiah's presence. Right. So as soon as I rejoice in the Messiah's presence, then blammo, I'm going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. No. Your house you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're... No! <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit, you will begin to leap. And I'm going to go a little deeper into this. And I'm going to start leaping. No, I better not. I, I'm getting older, and you know i got to be careful where I leap. I could hurt something, you know? Then we're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 2 also. But it's All right, so now we're flipping over to Matthew chapter 2. You're going to do to Matthew chapter 2 what you just did to Luke 2? Oh, no. This is going to be horrific. 
Brace yourselves for impact, folks. You might want to put your trade tables in the upright and locked position and uh, put your head between your knees and start to pray because uh, we're taking this thing down hard. We may not limp away from this crash. Here we go. Elizabeth leapt, uh, sorry, uh, John leapt in Elizabeth's womb. He leapt and he gave glory to God without even being born. The first ever praise service that happened outside of this earth was John the Baptist. What do you mean the first ever praise service that ever happened outside of this earth? Do you not think that he, that babies in utero are part of this earth? Or do you think they're in outer space somewhere? Maybe you get your theology from like, you know, 2001, a space odyssey. Here we have this embryo flying near the planet Jupiter. And here comes the monolith. This is just nuts. He was inside his mother's womb and he praised God and he gave thanks to God. The three kings that visited Jesus, the three wise men, you know, they were rerouted. All these different things happened. Angels appeared to them. A star appears to them. These people, by the way, they were the Magi, which stands for magic. The- yeah, I got I to gotta challenge that. Uh, the mag- Magi, I mean, it could mean magician, but it, it's kind of a broad term. It really is a broad term that could talk about. It's people who are astrologers. They could be physicians or doctors. Uh, these are learned men. So to just kind of limit it to magician, I don't think that's right. I, I don't think that's a correct understanding of what magi, you know, what the mad joy were. People that we would not like. The reason why we wouldn't like them is because they were trying to do spells and find out, is there a Messiah? No, it doesn't say anything about them trying to do spells. You just added that to the text. God, I know God doesn't use spells. God hates witchcraft. He hates all that stuff. Hates tarot cards too. A little bit of a note there. Ben Fitzgerald making a, God hates tarot cards too. I wonder why he said that. Could it be because his mom is getting a lot of heat for her destiny cards and their Christ alignment destiny card readings and stuff? I just thinking, you know, I think that they're note paying attention to the fact that people are calling out their fortune telling. He hates all that. Some of you got that. He hates tarot cards. But these magi were not Christian. They weren't Jews. They were searching, is there a God in the earth? You're adding stuff to the text. You are aware that Scripture warns people who would add to the text. You're literally adding stuff. God chose to tell these people who are into divination. more. Again, you really don't know that because magi is a broader term than that. His son, then he did some of the Jewish people seeking God. Do you know why? Because they weren't seeking for social status. They were. What? Again, where are you getting this information? Seeking for an answer. And they made this Messiah that they'd heard about and read prophecies in the, the Jewish scripts about their answer. So much so they brought all these gifts and they totaled it up. Someone did a total of it. They said it would have been worth millions of dollars what they brought to the feet of Mary and Joseph on behalf of... Millions. I mean, yeah, it's weird that (laughs) Jesus doesn't live as a millionaire for, you know, his childhood either. This is just... Again, it doesn't say how many gold coins. It doesn't say how much frankincense. It doesn't say how much myrrh. (laughs) <laughs> it was worth millions. How do you know? What were the quantities of said gifts? 
Jesus. But it says, you will know the angel appeared to them singing, you know, Hosanna in the highest, goodwill to men, peace be on earth, Jesus is coming. And they said, they're like, awesome man, like, like we're just coming to, to give him everything we have. We want to lay down at, our feet, at, at his feet. And they said, you'll know when you see a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. You will know that's him. So they get there. Oh no, you, you can almost see what's coming. This, this is it, folks. We're, the ground is rapidly approaching. We're about to crash. They see this baby, a couple of donkeys, and just a weird hay situation, kind of weird place. Weird hay situation. <laughs> bowed down at his feet and handed him millions of dollars worth of frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Yeah, again, how are you figuring it was millions of dollars? It, it doesn't give us the quantities. They bowed down at the feet of a baby. Mm-hmm. Not knowing that it was a baby they were bowing down to, they were bowing down to the Messiah of the universe. The pa- they didn't know they were bowing down to a baby. <laughs> this guy doesn't know what he's saying. And who reconciles God to man? But that's not the most incredible part of the story. Please that- tell us what's the most incredible part. It's an encouragement to you that anytime you're going through something, anytime you seem to be like, even if you're caught out here outside of the promise or you feel like there's a promise you're meant to inherit, you just go on that journey. Where is my Messiah again? And take everything you've got to him. That's. (laughs) This is utterly absurd. I do with my life. Anytime I find a problem in my life, I just say, where is that Messiah of mine? Where is that Messiah of mine? And you know, that that's what the real takeaway is from the magi ladies and gentlemen it was fun flying with you thank you for participating we know that you can choose many different podcasts to fly with and thank you for flying pirate christian air today moving along when i'm feeling lonely sad as i can be all by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth and me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we're heading over to Lakewood, and we're going to be listening to a portion of Joel Osteen's sermon titled um, The God Who Crosses His Arms. And what I found fascinating about this particular sermon is that Joel Osteen was making some effort to try to give us the biblical information but he is really going out of his way to not actually preach the text so that he can preach the theology that he wants to preach. But uh, let's let him set this up. Here we go. Well, God bless you, and thanks for letting us come into your homes today. If you're ever in our area, I hope you'll stop by and be a part of one of our services finest people in all of Houston, Texas, right here at Lakewood. But we would love to have you sometime, but thanks for tuning in today, and thank you again for coming out. I'd like to start with something funny, and I heard about this man that died and went to heaven. St. Peter escorted him down this long hallway filled with many clocks. The hands on the clocks were all ticking at different speeds. 
Peter explained that every person has a clock. When they sin, the clock ticks. One clock was barely moving. That was Billy Graham's clock. Another clock was creeping along, Mother Teresa's clock. The man said curiously, can I see my clock? Peter said, yeah, we keep yours in the office and use it as a fan. (laughs) Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the word of God. No, you won't. Like not even close. Boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I am about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. God bless you. Yeah, all right. So you'll note the uh, narcissistic focus of the Joel Osteen Lakewood Creed. Yeah, it's all about you. It's really not about Christ at all. We continue... I want to talk to you today about the God who crosses his arms. God has things in store for you. See, already you just have to ask the question, what do you mean by the God who crosses his arms? It's weird. That you don't see coming. Mm. It may seem like you've reached your limits. You've gone as far as you can. But God is going to open doors you never thought would open. Um, how, How do you figure? Which text says that? You didn't have the training. You weren't next in line. But somehow, you were chosen for the promotion. God has... So you were promoted even though you're not qualified? Oh, that's a formula for disaster. Unexpected favor. He's going to do things that we didn't deserve. And that's what happened in Genesis. Yeah, so (laughs) just consider the absurdity of what he just said. So there you are at work, and you got a a promotion... You didn't deserve. How do you think your coworkers are going to feel about that? <laughs> this is 48. Jacob was an old man and about to die. His son Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt, second in command under the Pharaoh. Joseph was Jacob's youngest son and his favorite. He had given Joseph his coat of many colors and was so proud of him. But for many years, Jacob thought Joseph was dead. His brothers told their father that Joseph had been eaten by a wild animal. Jacob was heartbroken and lived. Yeah, you left the part out about how his brothers were the ones who sold him into slavery in Egypt. With all this pain, some 13 years later, Jacob found out that Joseph was still alive and in this position of great honor. Yeah, you're, the weirdness of this is the summary is being pushed through the lens of his word of faith heresy. I, you, you can just feel it. Joseph eventually brought his father and his family to Egypt, gave them a place to live, and took care of them. Now Jacob was 140 years old and about to pass. Joseph went in to say his goodbyes and to get the blessing from his father. He took his two sons with him, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob saw the boys, he asked who they were. Joseph said, Dad, these are my sons, your grandsons. 
Imagine how Jacob must have felt. He never thought he would see Joseph again. He'd already accepted that he was gone. Now God not only let him see his son, but he saw his grandsons. His heart was overjoyed. Yeah, it's... It's weird. Your highlight reel isn't the same highlight reel as scripture. Hmm. Like Jacob, you may have given up on a dream. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, see, there it is right there. There's your problem right there. Yeah, you can't fix that. Yeah, the story of Jacob is not, well, in this particular case, at least in regard to his son Joseph, it's not about giving up on a dream. He thought Joseph was dead because his brothers who sold him into slavery in Egypt lied and said that they fa- you know that they found his multicolored dream coat. Notice the play on words there. Uh, his multicolored coat and you know with blood on it, thinking that maybe a wild animal had got him. You think it's been too long? Now you've accepted that you'll never get well. Never. <sighs> Uh, why is it that he takes every biblical story and turns it into, you know, this, you know, the, the negative self-talk? Oh, I'm never going to get well. I'll never get that promotion at work. I'm never going to have my wife love me. You know, <laughs> oh, see, all that negative self-talk is keeping you from your dream. And 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 so now in this story from Genesis. Um, apparently Jacob was engaging in negative self-talk and thinking that, oh, I'm never going to see my son again. But And he'd given up his dream of ever seeing his son again. But they thought, he thought he was dead. Never meet the right person. Never start that business. But what God put in your heart, he's not only still going to bring it to pass, but it's going to turn out better than you thought. Again, how do you figure Genesis 48 doesn't say any of that. I can't wait to see the twisted logic that goes along with this this lesson here. Not just your son, but yes. your grandson, so to speak. Yeah, so to speak, your grandson too, allegorically speaking. <laughs> I'm just messing things up all over the place today. Allegorically speaking. It's going to exceed what you're thinking. Yeah, right, yeah. Jacob called Manasseh and Ephraim over and hugged them and kissed them. He said to Joseph in verse 5, I'm adopting as my own sons your two boys. They will inherit the same thing as you and your brothers. What's interesting is these boys were born from an Egyptian mother. Back then, the Egyptians worshipped idols. This is true, by the way, yeah. They didn't believe in Jehovah. She didn't have a heritage of faith. You would think God would say, I'm not going to have anything to do with those boys. I'm not going to bless someone from a family that doesn't worship me. But God doesn't disqualify you because of how you were raised. Okay, um... Actually, we're all born dead in trespasses and sins and disqualified. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or an Egyptian. You may come from a family that didn't honor God. There was a lot of compromise, dysfunction, the good news. Compromise and dysfunction. 
you know, again, Scripture makes it clear that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. That's a little deeper than dysfunction. That doesn't have to stop you. Like Manasseh and Ephraim, God is adopting you in spite of what they did or didn't do. Yeah, that's not quite true either. I mean, if you're going to talk about the biblical uh, doctrine of adoption, it's extremely tied up in the concept of redemption. When you read about what Christ has done for us on the cross, Scripture describes it as a redemption. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But that redemption, redemption is a slave term where the, the the kind of the picture that goes with it is that we were slaves under the dominion of darkness, unable to free ourselves. Christ, through his blood, redeems us, and, and by redeeming us, he purchases us out of slavery and sets us free. And even more than that, he adopts us as his sons and daughters. And so there is a sense, I mean, he's rightly pointed out that there's an adoption theme here, in the story regarding uh, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, no doubt about it. But he's leaving out the kind of the important piece. If you're going to really tie this then and preach it to the people at Lakewood, you can't preach it apart from the cross because our adoptions as sons and daughters of God is made possible through our redemption, which is done and purchased by Christ and his death on the cross. You may kind of feel like you've been under a generational curse because of how you were raised. God is choosing you to start a generational blessing. Um, kinda? Yeah, see, that's that's not 100% off. I mean, it's sort of kind of right, but the way he's preaching it, 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 it still ain't right, though. You're the difference maker. No, Jesus is. You can be the one to affect your family line for generations to come. Pretty sure Jesus does that. It was extremely significant that these boys were adopted by Jacob. Okay. Not only did he overlook who their mother was, but they were grandsons, not sons. They should have had to wait another generation, 40 years to receive what Jacob was giving them. Normally... It would have come from their father, Joseph. He would have passed down the blessing, the inheritance that was given to him. These boys were receiving something that they didn't deserve. This right. was showing us the character of God. Yes. <laughs> okay, boy, is he going to preach the gospel here? I better not get too excited. It, it's... Can't say I've ever really heard him preach it properly. There are things that we don't deserve. We were off course. Uh, Yeah, like salvation itself. Doing our own thing. But God who is full of mercy. Mercy, right. He forgives our sins because of Christ. Said, I'm going to reach down in spite of your past, in spite of your mistakes. No, 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 no. See, he's messing this up. It's sins, not mistakes. See, our sins are not slipsies and oopsies and whoop. Oh man, I you know I put the wrong part on the Barbie Dreamhouse. I got to go back and do it right. No, see, that's a mistake. A sin is an actual transgressing of God's law. In spite of what your family didn't do, and I'm going to adopt you anyway. No, it's not that I'm going to adopt you anyway. See, that's not the gospel. 
the gospel is that Christ bled and died for our sins, redeemed us from slavery, set us free, and then we are adopted. <sighs> you, you know, I just... I'm just going to adopt you anyway. No, there was a cost here. Paul said in Ephesians, God has adopted us into his own family. Right, he does. And that adoption is affected by the redemption won by Christ. You know, so so here's the thing. Because Joel Osteen refuses to actually preach about sin... And instead, he preaches about mistakes and maybe bad pasts. We won't get into details of that. Uh, he And he thinks the gospel is that God loves you anyways. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you are loved for the sake of Christ and what he has done for you. Christ has reconciled us to the Father, which means we needed to be reconciled. And he did so by taking our sin upon himself which is why Paul says that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. <sighs> Man, it's very frustrating. Yeah, It seems like every time we listen to Joel Osteen, he always comes up way, way short and wanting when it comes to <clears throat> preaching the word of God. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to end the week off with a good sermon from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally 
hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website. And you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right. Hour number two, Fighting for the Faith, Friday afternoon. Let's end off with a sermon that actually attempts to rightly handle God's Word and gets it right. <laughs> Such a rarity now. But let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley Stokon Trent in the United Kingdom, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. New series he's preaching on Wednesdays on the uh, on Martin Luther's Heidelberg Theses. And this sermon is uh, taken from Romans chapter 7, and it's uh, first of the theses, There is no salvation by the law. Sit back, relax, open up your Bible, and note how he does what he does. This is one way of delivering a good sermon, which would require you, by the way, to rightly divide law and gospel, sin, grace. Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, which you're going to hear Pastor Charmley do. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Pastor Charmley and No Salvation by Law. Epistle to the Romans, chapter 7. Paul has been speaking of how... We should not, we cannot continue in sin that grace may abound, and how it is that as believers we are set free from the law of the dominion of sin and death through the gospel. So Romans chapter 7. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. The woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So if then, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. 
But when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our, in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. I would not, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law. That evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, So then with the mind I myself serve the Lord of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Now when you came in, you would have found on the chair a copy of this printout of Martin Luther's Heidelberg Theses from 1518, which given they were April 15, 18th, best part of 500 years ago that Luther wrote them. Last year, 1517, we celebrated the beginning of the Reformation, but it was a beginning. And as I was considering what to start out this year, 2018, looking at, I thought, well, why don't we have a look at Martin Luther's Heidelberg theses are a lot less intimidating than the 95 theses, given that there's only 28 of them. There were 40, but the remaining 12 are philosophical, not theological. These are the theological 
theses. And what happened was Martin Luther in 1517, when he posted the 95 theses, they were an invitation to a debate. But that debate never took place. Instead of being taken up as a debate invitation, they became something greater than that. They became the sign of of a growing dissatisfaction with the theology of Rome. The theology that was common in the medieval Catholic Church in Europe. And Martin Luther, as we we all know, was an Augustinian monk. He was a, a friar. And as he was an Augustinian, the things that he said caused quite a stir in the Augustinian order, particularly in Germany. And the result was a general meeting was called in the city of Heidelberg to discuss what Luther was teaching. And as part of the meeting, there was to be a a disputation, a debate. And for this debate, Martin Luther formulated these theses. And the, the basic thrust of this is the relationship between the law and grace. Medieval Catholic theology tended towards the position that Christ is basically a lawgiver and that salvation is basically about keeping the law, doing the right things and building up some sort of merit. And in, in these Heidelberg theses, which are very carefully constructed, Luther presents a biblical view of law and grace. And this afternoon, in the time that we have, we start looking at these theses, not apart from the Bible, but as the statement of biblical truth that they are. So I'll just read the first the first seven theses. First of all, the law of God, the most salutary doctrine of life, cannot advance man on his way to righteousness, but rather hinders him. Much less can human works, which are done over and over again with the aid of natural precepts, so to speak, lead to that end. Although the works of man always appear attractive and good, they are nevertheless likely to be mortal sins. Although the works of God always seem unattractive and appear evil, they are nevertheless really eternal merits. The works of men are thus not mortal sins, we speak of works which are apparently good, as though they were crimes. The works of God, we speak of those which he does through man, are thus not merits as though they were sinless. The works of the righteous would be mortal sins if they were not if they would not be feared as mortal sins by the righteous themselves out of pious fear of God. And the language, of course, is that of the Middle Ages, it's the language of medieval early and early modern thinking. So the idea of mortal sins, which are come to when we come to look at these theses is a distinction that medieval Catholic theology had created but one that Martin Luther and the reformers ultimately rejected and 
This afternoon we're looking particularly at the first two of these theses concerning the the fact that the law of God cannot advance man on the way to righteousness, but rather hinders him. We saw in our reading from the epistle to the Romans how Paul speaks of what the law of God does. And the law of God, it's important of course to define terms. When we speak of the law of God, we mean those portions in the scriptures where God says, do this or don't do that. The most famous statement of the law is the Ten Commandments, which are largely an expression of what we are not to do. The ten words found in Exodus chapter 20. Our Lord summarized the law in those two points, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. The law says, this is what you must do. And God gives many commandments. The Jewish rabbis spent a great deal of time trying to work out a a full enumeration. Ended up with over 600 individual precepts. The law is what God tells us to do. And the law is by theologians, and it's because it's seen in the scriptures as well, divided up into some laws are moral. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt do no murder, you shall not murder, obviously is a moral law. And the moral law is absolutely binding because it's an expression of who God is. There is the ceremonial law, the ceremonies given to the Jews, such as the sacrifices in the temple. And they were there for a time to set apart the Jewish people and to prepare the way for Christ. And then there are what are called the, the civic or civil law, which says, which is about the government of Israel, the government of God's nation which is very largely a matter of wisdom about how government is to be organised. And while it's not set out, every government must look like this, there's a lot of wisdom in government found in the civil law. But the law of God is when God says, do this. And the law, Paul says in Romans 7.12, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. And he's not saying the law and the commandment are two different things. He is a Jewish man, and in Hebrew, in Hebrew thought, if you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. You may repeat it in exactly the same words, or you may repeat it in slightly different words. So here, the law and the commandment are really the same thing. It's when God says, do this and don't do that, and They are holy and just and good. Everything in the law of God is good. And so Martin Luther can express it like this. It is the most salutary doctrine of life. 
The law is a wonderful thing. The law of God tells us what good works are. It tells us what it is to do the right thing. And it tells us what we are to avoid. It guides us. And we see what happens when people abandon the law. At the moment, one of the the big issues in this country is the giving up of God's law for, and the idea of an absolute morality, for the idea that morality is really a, a, something that's just a construct. You'll hear this all the time, the, that things like gender identity are constructs. But if you think that, you end up with a situation where, really, might makes right. Whoever has the most votes gets to decide what's good and what's bad. And eventually you end up with a situation where those who are more intelligent, who are more thoughtful, will look at the world and say, but everything's absurd, everything is simply a construct. Everything is permitted. It's simply a matter of, we've decided these things aren't convenient. And we see the chaos that rejecting the law of God leads to. It's good is the law of God. It is a good thing, but it cannot save anybody. The law of God cannot save sinners. The law of God can only condemn sinners. So we find in the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, Acts 13, reading from verse 38, this is a section of Paul's preaching. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is the man Christ Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things by which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. There is justification by faith in Christ alone. Christ alone. There's no justification, that is no being right with God. Justification being a a legal verdict of righteousness handed down by God. There is no justification (coughs) There is no There is no justification by the law of Moses. Justification comes by faith in Jesus Christ. The problem, of course, isn't with the law. The problem is with us. Therefore, the Apostle says in Romans chapter 3... 
from verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped <coughs> and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem is that all are sinners. So that the law is not able to save. The law was never meant to save sinners. And yet it is the inevitably... The first thing that man tries to do when he becomes aware that he needs to be saved is to save himself. But all that the law can do is judge and condemn. So Romans 4.15, the law brings about wrath. That is the law... Because among sinners brings the wrath of God into effect. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. But we see transgression everywhere because the law is written on the hearts of human beings. That's why people have consciences. They feel they have done wrong. And we can appeal to this. But unless the Holy Spirit convicts somebody of sin, their response to being convinced of sin simply by our words is to be angry with us and to say, well, how judgmental of you. It's sometimes bizarre to see people saying when somebody says, well, look, God condemns this sin. People reply, well, that's not very Christian of you. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ came preaching, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord Jesus Christ came calling people to turn from sin and turn unto God. And the law cannot save anybody. That's not what it's for. What it's for is indeed to show us that we are sinners Romans 5.20 the law entered that the offence might abound but where sin abounded grace abounded much more so that as sin reigned in death even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord it is about the grace of God, Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The proper duty of the law 
is to bring us to Christ. And and so we cannot pursue righteousness, we cannot attain righteousness by the law. And this is what Luther was pointing out to the monks there at Heidelberg, who were trying, as he had tried, to, by their works, increase their standing with God. But the law doesn't advance man on his way to righteousness. We see that in Romans 7, how the Apostle Paul speaks of his experience here. He says, I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Point is that in the same way that if you put up a sign saying keep off the grass, there will be some who will deliberately step on the grass. So it is that God's law saying don't do this leads that sinful impulse in man. Sin itself looks at the law of God and says, well, I will transgress the law of God. Hence the Apostle John's definition of sin, that sin is lawlessness. The natural man, the heart that is set upon the flesh, is not subject to the law of God, and it cannot be, because the nature of sin is to throw off the law of God, to reject the law of God. And so as long as the law is there, and as long as the law is seen as the thing by which we get right with God, nobody ever gets right with God. But what does the law do? Well, the apostle writes to the Galatians, in which he, and he speaks of the law of God. Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. If there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is there so that we can see that we have absolutely no hope of being right with God by law, so that we may be justified by faith. Now Luther's second thesis is very closely related to the first. Much less, he says, can human works, which are done over and over again with the aid of natural precepts, so to speak, lead to that end. The medieval church had this idea that There were two sorts of commandments from God. There were those which were binding on absolutely everybody. And there were those so-called councils of perfection, which the monks and the nuns in particular, they did those things. So the idea was that you could do extra stuff. 
And they had pilgrimages and relics. They had penances that would be prescribed by the priests. We've probably all seen the scene in the scenes in certain films or advertisements in which somebody goes into a confessional box and kneels down and says, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and the priest on the other ha- on the other side of the box says, Say, however many Hail Marys as your penance. But the whole idea of penance was that the church got to say, Here are things that you must do. But also the church had a according to Roman Catholic theology, the the right to set as discipline certain things that the Bible didn't teach. So, the example that everyone's aware of, Roman Catholic priests are not allowed to get married. That is the, the usual state of things. But that is not a doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. It's a discipline. And you see, this is how they get around the fact that it's absolutely undisputable that in the early centuries, the majority of Roman Catholic, or, well, actually say Roman Catholic, there's a bit of an anachronism, the majority of Western Catholic clergy were married. The story is told of when the Normans came over to England, 1066, and they established a cathedral in Norwich, built this map two massive great things in Norwich, which is, of course, a very, very important city in those days, a castle and a cathedral, and both of these were about the authority of the Normans. And so the Normans brought in a bishop, and the bishop turned up, and and they had a, a monastery attached to the cathedral. And the bishop turned up, and to the scandal of the monastic clergy said... Hello, I'm your new bishop. Here's my wife and here are my children. And they how can that be? Well, the answer was that at that point, the Western Catholic Church, the Pope had not yet said that all clergy had to be absolutely celibate. It was a discipline. In other words, it was an extra thing. It is an extra thing that the Pope says his clergy have to do. These are human works which are done over and over again by the aid of natural precepts, as Luther puts it. The saying of the rosary, saying these uh, rote prayers that of the beads on the rosary all correspond to certain things that have to be said. And they said over and over again. And the idea again is that this can somehow merit something with God. And so you had all, all these ideas, the, the celebration of festivals. You may wonder, you've just had Christmas, why is it that the Puritans rejected Christmas? It's not because the Puritans didn't like the idea of celebrating the birth of Christ. It's because they were reacting against the idea that the church gets to say, you have to do this, and if you do it, you earn brownie points with God. And that was the idea that the medieval Catholic Church had. You earn merit with God by the things you do. And Luther says, no. Look at the Bible. 
Look, since the Lord of God, the things God has said we should do are not things that advance us on our way to righteousness, how much less can the things that the church says do this, whatever it may be, how much less can that advance us on the way to righteousness? It can't. The only way to righteousness, and that is where Luther would have us Shut up to the only righteousness that there is. Is the righteousness which is in Christ Jesus. That is by, that is in him and is laid hold upon by faith. That being justified by faith we have peace with God. But not being justified by faith doesn't matter what you do. It will never be enough. You will never have peace with God. And so Luther starts out these, these Heidelberg theses by saying you cannot be right with God on the basis of what you do. But you can only be right with God through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The law is holy, the commandment holy and just and good. But there is salvation in Christ and Christ only. Praise the Lord, there is salvation in Christ. Amen. Amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at fire Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. His vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.